What's happening, folks? It's Yannick Guzdala. It's the Yannick Guzdala podcast. And we are going for it with some short scale four string action today. And this is the last video I'm going to get to make with this bass because this is one of the one of the ones that went on the chopping block. And uh, it is it is finally leaving the house. Uh, it's getting shipped out tomorrow um, to a lucky buyer and apparently somebody who was really looking for a, a, a vintage Fender Music Master for a long time. So happy that it's going somewhere where it's really going to be uh, loved and used and, and appreciated. And I figured what, what perfect timing to hit the podcast with just one last play of it. Now I've had it for, I was actually trying to remember how long I've had it. I got it in 2011, like around November of 2011. It is from... 1973 checked out the serial numbers and you can tell by the um by the uh by the machine heads on the headstock that's uh the, the, the try more triangular shape of those means it's a little bit older there are a few telltale signs and just sitting here running my thumb up and down the neck it's a really nice neck i'm pretty sure these were meant to be sort of entry level entry level bases and they were super cheap about 50 years ago wow it's the 50th anniversary of this base that's cool um so it really is quite the vintage instrument. And I, I believe they were meant to be entry-level basses. And boy, do they not play like an entry-level bass. They feel really good. I don't know whether that's that whole thing of, you know, just the wood being around for 50 years and the kind of wood they used back then that isn't available today. I don't know how much I buy into all of that. And a lot of people swear by it. Other people say it's like just total snake oil and it, who knows? Um, I think it's, that's quite an individual thing, right? That's quite a personal thing when it comes to, when it comes to any instrument, vintage or otherwise. And I think we should take that with a pinch of salt. And I've never been like a massive actually a massive collector of basses period actually so um and definitely not uh uh i've never been that person it's like oh i must have this certain year of this certain bass because of this one characteristic of the wood in the neck no absolutely not uh, and the reason i ended up with this was because it was totally unexpected i've told the story a thousand times before i'm not about to set, tell it again about jim o'rourke's uh one of these and then i went out and got one myself um but that was the reason it was totally unexpected it had nothing to do with its age it had nothing to do with the model or, or anything it was just okay pick up the bass have a connection to it and away we go and it just happens to be a bass that is now 50 years old it was not that old when i got it uh yeah so that was uh what's that 12 years ago um and i was looking at the strings these are the strings i put on the, the day after i got it so these are some um tape wound flats um which feel amazing they're they're kind of well played in and they feel they feel like they've reached their maximum sort of sponginess and and stretchiness and uh, to the few, I'm not going to blow up the person's name who's buying this instrument. That can be private for them. And they can choose whether to share that it came from me or not uh, at a later date. But I would highly recommend, as long as you like tape wound flats or the, or the sound of a, of a flat wound string, uh, I highly recommend keeping these strings on the bass. And even if you take them off, keep the set. It's a nice kind of punchy woof in the bottom.
nice instrument. And I thought, I, I, I forced myself not to play it before I hit record here for the podcast. And I thought like, oh, I know I'm going to get 10 minutes into this and start being really uh, sort of having seller's regret and seller's remorse on this, but not at all. Um, I'm happy to play it again for a few more minutes and play it for you guys. Um, but I'm also really happy that it's going and, and it's sort of that whole thing of like getting rid of almost all of my bases. Now we're a few weeks into this and, and tons of them have left the house already. It's like getting pretty empty in here. Um, there, there is no regret about it. So that's actually a nice feeling. Great to play the instrument one more time. And then really nice that it's going somewhere where it's going to be actually really played and really taken care of and um, where somebody really appreciates it and will continue to do so. Um, and I believe this person has been after one for quite some time. So that will fulfill uh, somewhat of a kind of a, a grail base or a dream base or something like that. You know, when you want something for a long time and finally it's, it's, it's here. Um, and what it's also helping me playing this for a few minutes, what it's also helping me uh, do is really think, okay, I'm definitely taking a four string down to Argentina for the new album sessions. That is happening. I figured I can take two SKB bass safes as my as my checked stuff plus my, my, my regular luggage. So that's three pieces and then I'll carry on the Pelican case because um, it does fit as a carry on. I'll carry on that with my pedals in and uh, and that'll be the setup. That'll be That's the way I'm going to get all of those instruments down there. Still working on the video I was talking about last week about traveling with the instrument. I think it's going to be great to show how I'm traveling actually with so much gear, something I, <clears throat> I really do. I never normally travel with two bases. I haven't done that since my sort of sideman pop touring uh, days. So it'll be interesting to take the five and the four down there, the Matteson, uh, the five, and I'm not sure which four string yet, whether it will be a P bass, jazz bass, or one of the Matteson four strings. Those are the, pretty much the only bases I have left now. It wouldn't, by the way, have been this, this Music Master. Um, if, if, I, if I still owned it in three or four weeks' time, I wouldn't, I don't think I would have taken this down. It, although, I don't know, man, <laughs> you start to explore it and you, and you get those kind of really nice tones, like get in different areas of the neck. style of music i'm writing i don't think this would have been the right bass um but it's also as i keep working on the music and i'll, I'll reiterate the fact that the pre-sale is happening right now here early on in the podcast while i remember uh, links below in the description of the video if you're watching on youtube and uh links in the show notes if you're listening elsewhere like spotify or apple music um and la did i announce this last week i can't remember or did this come up this week maybe this is actually a brand new thing to announce i'm not sure sorry if it's a repeat of information but 
if you are new to this whole thing of the, the pre-sale happening and what I try and do when I make a new album and, and, and give bonuses and things that will only be available to people who get the album uh, in this pre-sale period. These things will not be available, um, or at least they won't be included or, or for free, et cetera, et cetera, after the album comes out. So one thing that I've talked a little bit about before that will not be available to the general public after the album comes out are three extra songs on the album, three bonus tracks. So that is for pre-sale purchases only. Um, something uh, that's a hangover from the last uh, project we did with a pre-sale from last year in Spain is I'm doing a poster. So we're going to design a poster with everyone's name on it who was involved in the pre-sale. And that will be like a super high resolution file. We can't unfortunately get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them and mail them out all over the world. The, the cost of the pre-sale would have to be far higher if we did that. But it will be a very high resolution printable file that you can get printed at your local, I don't know what it is where you are in the world here, it would be FedEx Kinko's or Staples or something like that, and get it printed out as a poster. Um, and it'll have everyone's name on it, and it'll be kind of like a commemorative, uh, some, some memorabilia from, from the album. So that's happening. That's all inclusive with the pre-sale. And something we're doing this time is, especially as I'm really writing and arranging a lot of music for this album, is doing a songbook and a, and a set of play-alongs. So you'll be able to, play along to this music minus the bass there'll be a songbook included and that is all included in the pre-sale that is something we've never done before and i i know there are a lot of musicians out there that listen to the music i think for for those of you that are into attempting to play some of this stuff and really it's some of the most difficult music i've ever written and not to be difficult just because that is the way the cookie has crumbled this time and that's where my ears are and that's where my head is at compositionally and i'm really pushing myself compositionally and technically on the instrument more than I ever have for this album. So um, that will be included in the, in the, in the pre-sale um, package. So check that out. It's all linked everywhere. There are links. And um, man, I was going to say something very important right then. And I was like, I'll say that right after this. And then I forget. I listen to podcasts where there are two or three hosts and think, wow, what a luxury there's always a space to have a break for one or two of the people and collect their thoughts and maybe discard their thoughts and move on to the next thing that the other person has inspired on the podcast. It would be um, quite a luxury to have someone else around and not in an interview capacity, like some of these podcasts that have two people on them that are both hosts rather than one person interviewing the other would be nice. I'd be something That is something I'm thinking about for the future be kind of cool to bounce ideas off someone on a regular basis off the same person and, and get sort of a get sort of a vibe going there um but moving on now that i've completely buried the thought in my brain and it's probably not going to come back there has to, I think there has to be something, uh, there's something to be said about traveling with a short scale instrument as well. I'd actually kind of welcome the challenge of doing one of my own tours, playing my own music with a short scale instrument and seeing how that changed the way I crate it up and, and ship it or, or check it, you know, whether I would use a slightly different case, maybe not the base safe, maybe even something smaller. Who knows? I haven't researched that yet, but that's something I'd be interested in, in exploring um, and also how a passive bass with flat rounds on it hits the pedals and, and how that might change the way I play and how it probably is going to change the way I play if I, if I take a passive bass with me, the four string, and how I'm going to have to build the pedal board kind of uh, uh, 
with that in mind to a certain extent. And I should probably talk about the pedal board a little bit that I'm going to use down there. Um, I really want to play this bass. It's weird. Um, the spacing and everything is a little different, obviously. Um, what, am I going to have... This has just dawned upon me uh, right this second. Am I going to have a short-scale bass left? And the answer is... Da, 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 oops, no, I'm not. After this one goes, I'm not going to have a short-scale. I guess the jazz bass... I have a Japanese jazz bass. That's the one jazz bass I'm keeping is not... i got to check the scale length on that. In my head, it always used to be medium scale. That was how I referred to it, but I don't know how accurate that was. I think that's because Juan Alorete, when he when he told me about them, when I played one of his his studio many years ago, um, and he told me I actually had to go to Japan to get it, which I then did. Um, I think that's how he described it. it was always like a medium scale jazz bass. So that might be the only shorter scale bass there. I mean, the Matheson is thirty two, but nothing. I don't think I'm going to have anything that's a thirty like this. My Mustang went, this this is going. So, interesting. I'm not actually going to have a short-scale bass. Hadn't thought, maybe hadn't thought that one through completely, but uh, there's a challenge. Maybe that is something actually to work on with a builder in the future. I've, 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 um, I've really been thinking, like since getting, I'm going to put the bass down actually, so it's, it's out of the way here. Um, since, really ditching a lot of these instruments um and stripping it all down i've been and, and like the whole signature thing going out the window and is that even really a thing anymore you know um and, and how much do people actually want that as well i've really been thinking about that like my bass is so specific to my knees like that matteson that we worked on that is still like like i've said before is the prototype ah i've just remembered what i needed to tell you for those people watching on youtube i am unfortunately fully aware of the the dead pixels that are cropping up in the camera and i know there are going to be little red and white dots on the screen that that will be fixed soon i'm sorry about that 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 got really bad on the, the very last episode i recorded um and i do need to i just need to like kind of switch my system actually it's i think it's time for a new camera body and uh, it's just super expensive and all eyes are sort of focused on the new album right now so it's not going to happen before the record but but it is on my mind. So I apologize about that. I know there were comments about it and uh, it bugs me just as much as it bugs you. I have to edit it and and see that really in high definition on my like 4K monitors. So yes, I'm fully aware I am going to be upgrading that stuff soon. Uh, but back to, the, back to the signature thing. It's like, yeah, dude, does somebody actually want exactly the same thing I want? Um, probably not for the most part. Maybe there are, maybe there are fans who want to play in the same lane as I do. So they get the bass and that really works for them. And then they take it and they make little adjustments in their playing and they end up coming up with something unique for themselves. Amazing. Fantastic. That's, I think that's really a positive thing when that happens. Um, but like the whole, I'm just trying to think of people who have, have had signature instruments over the years, like the, the, who comes to mind? Billy, Billy Sheehan, John Patatucci, of course. 
and I'm I'm actually not just they've had an instrument that their name is associated, but they've had an instrument where their name is literally on the instrument. It's fi- it's visible when you like. I remember the early John Patitucci, the Yamaha six string, where I think it said it somewhere on the fingerboard, like between two of the frets like it actually said it right on the front of the instrument i know a lot of people have like the signature written on the headstock i'm not i'm not sure that's what people are looking for anymore i don't know um it it, it kind of strikes me like when i think about like why would i go out and buy a bass uh that had somebody's somebody else's name on it or was associated with somebody else's thing i i think I think I would I, I want the expertise of the person I respect, which maybe means that the signature thing has to be a little bit broader um, and not just really dialed into one specific model and one specific uh, setup. So I'd quite like to explore going back to the short scale base. Um, it might be nice to explore a collaboration with a builder who, you know, and specifically work on a short scale base, but it wouldn't like not to be a Yannick Wisdala signature signature model at all, but to be maybe it's a signature series, which is kind of wide and it's less than a signature model, but more of a designed by, you know, input from uh, experience. And I, I don't know what you want to use the word expertise because I know nothing about building the bases themselves, but in terms of being able to uh, add value to a, to a product, I think I have, you know, I have enough years behind me of knowing what works and what doesn't for certain situations. So there could be that element of it's more of a range rather than a single product. And it's a variation on a theme, perhaps, rather than being like, nope, this is the, like, you know who's really specific? Like Billy Sheehan, for instance. Uh, that, that's one bass that pops out to me. It's like really, sp- I think it has stereo outputs or something. And it has this something in the fingerboard, which is kind of special. I mean, even Henrik Linder, for instance, with his Mattison, with the true temperament frets and the very specific setup and the very specific music that he plays. I don't see that like six string bass of Henrik's being the 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 thing that would suit a, a majority of other players. Now, on on the opposite end of that scale, associated with Henrik, of course, there's the four string, the prototype that I have, which I think is an amazing instrument and suits way more of the of the cross section of bass players with the P bass and the jazz bass options, and it being a four string and being kind of just a, a workhorse instrument. So. I guess in that sense, Henrik has a few different things that are signature models that do create a range, but it would be nice to have one kind of instrument. Like, is it a fretless or is it a four string? Is it a five string? Is it short scale, long scale, medium, whatever? And now all these short scales are leaving me and when this goes out tomorrow, we'll have left completely. It would be interesting, maybe like with... um, uh, 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 with uh, with Kerry Nordstrom or someone like that, someone I know who builds like a modern builder who builds short scale bases, and maybe come up with something that's like, hey, you know what? Here's short scale. That's already a quite a niche in a specific world, but I think it's one that's becoming. It seems to be becoming a, a little more popular these days. I see uh, more of that cropping up and. They work great for singer-songwriter gigs when they're set up the right way. You can play like pop gigs and they still have all the, they still have everything you need. Like it doesn't have to be, the, and, and you're kind of, for me anyway, it's always felt like I'm helping my shoulder a little bit in terms of the regular Fender. What, are those 34 inch scale? Is that what it is? I don't remember whether they're 34 
is 35 at long scale. See, this is how much I know about the actual technical aspect of it. Not so much at all. Uh, Is it short or is it long? That's about where my expertise uh, starts and stops. But I know when I play the thing that a Fender bass, when I'm sitting down in the bottom four frets of the instrument, you know, on the E and the A string, uh, the shoulder is taking a lot more, uh, is getting worked a lot more than if I'm playing a short scale down there. Um, so, So there is some element of that that I think you know, the short scale uh, community, the short scale niche of basses is kind of maybe seeing a return to or just a just a kind of rise to prominence a little bit more. And I think it's a legitimate, I think it started to become a legitimate member of, of, of a professional musician's um, sort of arsenal of, of instruments. And I've, I've had, until recently had a bunch of them, I had like three or four of them, and got rid of all of them. So maybe something new, something modern. One thing I will say about the uh, about an instrument like this, about the Fender Music Master, is that when um, yeah, when you're dealing with an instrument that's 50 years old, like this pickup is 50 years old. This is all original. I, I did. I'm really glad I didn't do this, but I did come very close to having Kerry Nordstrand wind me a um, wind me a new pickup for this. Um, I'm glad I left the original one in there because now that can be the new owner's decision whether to do it or not. And it, it does end up being a, uh, an all original, completely original bass to the point where, you know, it's got all the, should we call it patina? Because that sounds fancy. It's been beat to shit, basically. It's been used for 50 years and you can see the paint chips in, the, in all the right places, thankfully. I don't think it's been thrown anywhere. But, you know, I'm sure a belt buckle here and there and it's had chips around it. I mean, it looks to me, it looks beautiful. Like I, I love the way this instrument looks, and um, it's it's faded in the right places. You can see maybe there was a sticker there at some point, uh, or maybe that was the original Fender badge. You can see where somebody's played, you know, behind the pickup a lot on the top string, and it's worn through it a little more down there. Maybe they were playing with a pick. I don't know. But it, t- it as I'm saying all of this, it tells a story, you know. Um, and my point being. Uh, that when you have an instrument like this, it ends up being it ends up being something you have to take care of. You know, it's not brand new. It's not. It doesn't have the warranty. There's none of that. You actually have to. I'm sure the new owner will, you know, will have to. Even there's, there's no cavity in the back. You actually have to take the pit guard off to look at the electronics. Um, even just a little like electrical spray or something in there would be probably good to clean it out. And then it can be their decision whether they want to replace the pickup and have a more modern, more consistent sound in it. Um, but they do they do take a little bit of work. So I think that's probably why uh, one of the reasons, I know it's one of the reasons I haven't been drawn to vintage instruments that much because um, they take a little more upkeep than a modern instrument. And yeah, it would just be nice to to perhaps work with someone and get all the things we love about a bass like this. It's quite a rich sound. Oh, it does. I really dig pretty much all of it, you know, and it just shows me that getting harmonics out of it and chords and being able to play melodies, but also bass lines and palm muting. It does uh, remind me of how versatile um, a short scale, a 50 year old short scale bass is. So why not have a modern version of that? Uh, maybe not as crazy as the, what is it? Ac- 
I can never remember what how to say the the word the name basically the uh, Kerry's uh, copy of the Goya Panther two acronics acron I really just I, it always escapes my brain um, but that bass with all the buttons on it with the fancy EQ buttons and stuff maybe not as complicated as that maybe just maybe two pickups maybe not one like the Music Master so two pickups and maybe volume volume tone something like that something really simple it could be entry level i mean maybe it could be cnc'd uh for a really cheaper version and handmade for a slightly more expensive i don't know but again the whole signature thing you know one size fits all or one piece for one artist kind of thing i i don't know that i'm really feeling that at all i definitely you know after when i got the f bass for instance i told them i was like i don't want a signature instrument i just want to build a bass have you guys build a bass send it to me and that's it i don't want any of that signature instrument connection thing so i still feel that way for sure and uh i i just think there are and not just me i think there are other people that i'd like to hear a similar uh kind of setup from you know there are people i really like um as bass players, as musicians, I'd be like, wow, if they were involved in the building of this kind of instrument, I'd be super interested in buying one and playing one. Um, you know, modern players, older players, just having that, I think that there's no substitute for experience, right? It's the one thing you can't buy. You can't buy experience, you can't buy time. And that's, those are maybe the only two things that any of us who've been around for two, three decades doing this have, like really. Um, so I think that's where I see value and maybe that's where I can add value to a, to something in the future. But again, it's like, I, I would never do it just as a business thing or something. It would really be about, Hey, do I need one of these things? Like this would only ever happen. I'd only ever reach out to someone and even start having the conversation. If I was like, Hey, you know what? I'm kind of missing a short scale instrument. Let's see what we can do. Um, so it would only be at that point that I'd reach out. It wouldn't be like, oh, let's do this and uh, leave money on the table here. Let's like, let's cash in as much as I can. Absolutely not. Um, what a lot of people seem to think, especially when I, you know, switch from Federa to Matheson and and, and start, then stop playing the Matheson and, and played the F bass for a while. So many people were like leaving comments and say, oh, you're just doing it for the money. And it just highlighted how little people know about the way this world works. I mean, even in the guitar world, I, I know there are a few people, mega, you know, shredder, guitar hero type people that have made significant amounts of money via their association with, uh, with a manufacturer and through having a, a signature model. For sure. You know, we're, we're, we're not, this is not news to anyone. This is public information when you think of the Steve Vai's and the Joe Satriani's and these. We're talking about superstars that have been around. Well, I mean, they've been around 40, 50 years now. Um, but also their instruments have been around, you know, since probably the, I don't know when that shit started. Late 80s, early 90s, I would guess. I don't know. I'd have to look that up. Um, but it's, yeah, it's definitely not like that in the bass world. I know uh, most, if not, if not all of the people who have like signature instruments out there right now, I've, most of them, I guess. And I also know a lot of the people that work at these companies and tell me how much those instruments actually sell. And then... You, you, then you figure out like, oh, then that person has like three and a half percent or five percent on a sale, uh, you know, uh, not on the full MSRP, et cetera, et cetera. It makes for a very, very small payment uh, when you base the whole signature revenue stream thing on on sale. So moving from one company to another has uh, has less than nothing <laughs> to do uh, with money. 
just in case anyone wondered. I, I think I've talked a little bit about that sometime maybe a year ago or something, but it's always good to remind people if you were ever in doubt. Um, I'm not, I, I never made any of those moves for money. Actually, I made the moves in an attempt, especially from Federa to Matheson, in an attempt to save the people who wanted to buy the instrument I was playing money because it was just so extravagantly priced. A Federa of $15,000 even the Matheson wasn't cheap if you got the high-end hand, handmade, fully handmade thing. But again, the concept was to try and produce CNC instruments that would bring the cost way, way, way down. So now, at least uh, even though those situations are in the past and those business relationships are in the past, um, at least I have a lot of information um, that I gained from them and and know way more now than I did 20 years ago. And it, yeah, again, if I ever I were to approach a situation where my name was associated with an instrument, I definitely would want to try and make it something that was completely different from the old model of what a signature instrument is. I really think it should be an experience thing designed by, you know, um, I think it's kind of like what Tosin Abassi did very very cleverly i don't think i could ever go this far but he had a, had signature instruments with i want to say ibanez maybe even another company before that but i've just i rem personally remember the ibanez instruments and then the next thing you know he has abassi concepts and he has his own company so it wasn't even that he went with ibanez and it's like oh this is but abassi helped design these things no tosin went and started his own company and really did design them and they are unique and they look you know the abassi concepts body is a completely unique uh, as far as i can tell anyway i don't really think like even with the shorter body and the more compact thing without the wing i i I've, Maybe you could say it was close to a Klein or something from back in the day, but it's not It's not anywhere close. It really is a unique body shape. And there he is with his own company, really designed by him. Um, so I, I, I think I think I take a lot of cues from, from Tosin in that sense, if ever I were to get involved in something again. I mean, I would really love, like creatively speaking, I would, it would be amazing to, to be a, a designer of instruments in my own company. Because I could have so much fun with that and probably come up with some things that would be useful to a lot of people. And, and I don't think I'm unique in that sense. I think any bass player who knows what works and what doesn't and who has been in a variety of situations probably has the, the same information I do um, in terms of, hey, this works, this doesn't. These, are, these things are really good. These things, hey, you don't really need them. You know, to be able to put those in a range of instruments would be so much fun. Uh, that is a lot of work. That's a lot of overhead. I talked to Tosin about his situation uh, many times, actually. And I think he was even thinking about getting into basses. And that never happened because the guitar thing was like so much work and finding a manufacturer and having the team in place. It's a lot of people management. It's a lot of money, I, I would imagine. And uh, uh, quite, quite the headache at times. He seems to make it work, though. And uh, the last time I saw him in a video, he was driving an Audi R8. So I don't think it's going too badly. <laughs> him and uh, who's it? Misha from Periphery. They both are crazy into cars. I think Misha has a McLaren, like a P1 or something. Holy shit. So either Periphery getting a lot of downloads or streams, or maybe Misha has some products as well. I don't know. Uh, whatever they're both doing, they're doing it right. That They're enjoying life and um, enjoying uh, enjoying their cars, I guess. Um 
but yeah, it's it, it's an interesting. Th- I, literally, just today, I've, I've realized I don't have a short scale base anymore. Um, once this bad boy gets boxed up and shipped tomorrow, um, so that's that is going to be interesting. And it'd be actually, I I just want to know more about the process. I think I want to talk to a few different luthiers with absolutely no intention of making a base at all. I just want to talk to a few luthiers, especially like Nordstrom and and a few people like that, just to get an idea of what what goes into it all. I really don't think I know so much. With Anders, it was very simple. He's one person in one shop in the woods in Sweden. That's that's, that's quite a simple setup. And as a result, didn't have like the business infrastructure to facilitate the the wider reach that I was looking for with that situation. With Federa, it's a huge company and they've got multiple people working for them, maybe a couple of dozen at this point. I don't know. I have no idea what their setup is. It used to be a lot smaller. It used to be Vinnie, Joey and Vadim. Very few people in the shop. Uh, less than 10 people, I would imagine, when I first met them. But now I, I know it's huge and they've expanded. So that's a whole thing right there. And then, of course, you've got like Yamaha and Fender and those kind of companies, which are just global corporations. So that's a whole different thing. But it's that sort of more connected sort of middle ground and connected to the niche type of builder that it would be interesting to look at. People who do like more numbers than Anders, I guess, because Anders is more like the maths is more like the, the mad scientist making beautiful instruments and like not really churning out. He's not churning out hundreds and hundreds every year. Um, but there are other builders doing multiple hundred units a year that are still small. They're not a corporation. So it'd be interesting to see just behind the scenes of, uh, of wh- how, those, how those companies operate. I also really want to get, um, after the album, when I have some time towards the end of the year, I want to get to meeting and interviewing as many pedal builders, um, especially locally. I know there are a bunch of companies here in LA and in Southern California that, that make pedals. Uh, and it was, Obviously, great to interview Jack Roan at Noble a few months ago when I was up in Santa Cruz. It would also be really nice. I think Ren and Cuff are down here. Um, just be nice to sit down and talk about their businesses and their concepts and what goes into producing these uh, these amazing little boxes that, that make us all so happy. <laughs> also convince us to part with lots of money to buy them. So that I think that could be it's definitely going to be interesting for me. I hope that would be something that is interesting to you. Um, for the podcast, there are definitely many, many more plans for it. Um, and this week, uh, this week, a little late on the uh, on the upload. Couldn't talk about this before because I know my buddy listens to the podcast once in a while. But I uh, I ran to London for one night actually. For it, this was a first for me. That I was in London for such a short amount of time that on my itinerary it showed London Heathrow as a connection not a destination uh, arrival or a departure airport. It was a connection because I was only there for like 16 hours or something. Flew in um, around lunchtime on Saturday. My best friend was turning 50 and his wife uh, unbelievably like kept this thing a secret for months and put on a surprise party for him. And uh, yeah, it was amazing. Very emotional uh, weekend and great to see old friends and I hadn't seen in a, a really long time and musicians that both my friend and I used to play with and I just really an amazing experience. I wouldn't have missed it for the world. Um, very grateful to my wife uh, 
facilitating those even it was it was only 36 hours but it was an extra 36 hours on top of the you know the 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 tour that i'd just come back from with steve smith so i no, no sooner had i walked through the door but then i was running out to the airport a few days later to go to london for this thing so i appreciate everyone uh, that helped make that happen and um yeah hence the the podcast normally uploaded on a monday morning but i didn't get back until like nine thirty sunday night so no chance to record it last night and here we are um but back on track and um just ramping up it's all eyes now on the new album it's you know 80 90 being a dad at home for the next three weeks but all the all the spare time i have uh, being a dad and a husband, I should say, and all the spare time I have is basically going to be down here in the studio working on the new music. I'm going to share some more demos this week. If you're not already subscribed to my Substack, go do that. It's linked everywhere. There are links wherever you're listening or watching, and it's totally free as well. You can, it, you know, I, I put out this series called A Song a Day. I think we're on day 62 in a row. Uh, it's been a lot of fun digging back through the archives and 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 putting up a, a live recording of somebody amazing every every day and writing a little bit about it and, and letting you know how I'm connected to that music and how that music helped me with my, with my life and my career. Uh, and I'm sharing demos from the new album. So if you want to see the progress towards Buenos Aires, we are, I think, three, three weeks and two days or something away from going. I know I have a little widget in my phone that tells me, hey, your flight's coming up in... 24 days there it is um i'm out of here august 3rd and we'll all be convening in convening in buenos aires it's going to be yeah it's going to be quite it's going to be quite the trip um and yeah as i said i'm going to be sharing some demos while i was gone i was on the plane and some stuff randomly came up on my phone as i was listening to music uh, demos from my first album almost 20 years ago so that was really interesting to listen to how i was demoing back then and also sort of the detail i went into there's one song uh i can't remember what it's called time stands still from from my album mystery to me from my debut album and i listened to the demo the demo came up on random the, uh, yesterday when i was on the plane and i recorded like full horns on it and guitar and all kinds of stuff and done some programming and that was just the demo so i want to share that and kind of share my journey through demoing maybe that'll actually be a more in-depth episode of the podcast next week or the week after where i get to sit and play and and explain some of the things i'm doing and and what my process is and hopefully you get to experience all of these demos coming up to the recording session and then the the reveal of how we turn a demo into an album and the kind of choices we all make uh from me from the musicians from juan paulo behind the mixing console and it's all like a a huge group effort something i'm always very open-minded to receive comments and ideas from those people around me that's why i hire them (laughs) that's the bottom line like if you're in the room don't keep your mouth shut uh you at least on my sessions you're always very much encouraged to get involved and say hey you know what why don't we try this or i don't think that's working or you know and everyone's very cool about it as well and this is the first time i'm doing an album with cliff armand on drums uh, an album my own First time we're going into the studio um, to make my music like this. So that is something I'm really very much looking forward to and seeing, you know, already talking to him on the phone and, and, and talking about drums and oh, I'm bringing this thing and all these, this number of cymbal stands and these drums and let's try that tuning. He's already like, 
not only like a super pro and as someone who's been doing it for many, many years at, at the highest possible levels, but is also like this could be the first album uh, he's ever playing on from the standpoint of like, mm, let's see what happens. You know, I really appreciate that. It's the open mindedness of someone with zero days experience twinned with someone who has 30 years or more of experience. I, that, that is yeah, there's like a childlike quality to that, which I really appreciate in a musician. That is a, a massive part of the criteria for hiring someone to play my own music. So all of those things go into this process. And that's what I'm sharing here, of course, in a podcast when I talk about it a little but even more so when I share the demos and really show exactly what I do here every day as a musician, as a band leader, as an artist, and how I try and be as honest as possible with the process and with with the final with the final product so yeah pre-sale is going on links are below the youtube video if you're watching on youtube and in the show notes if you are listening on a podcast aggregator and um, that's it i'll be uh, i'll be here next week back on time monday morning uh as long as there's a following wind and tide um and that's it see you cats later and uh it's bye-bye from me it's bye-bye for the last time from the fender music master from 1973 Okay, I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna get teary eyed about it. That's it. I'll catch you cats next time. Later.